Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Welcome back to Power Hour, a weekly show hosted by me, Nicole Auerbach. I am joined, as always, today by the athletic senior writer, Chris Benini. It is bowl season. As you listen to this, we're probably getting underway with the first bowl games this weekend. Um, we'll have a lot of football to talk about, and we'll probably see a lot of younger players. As we've seen some opt-outs, we'll get into some of the injured players and opt-out players and portal guys later in the show. But uh, hello, Chris. Happy bowl season to you. Yep. Good to be here. Good to be back. I, I We were just talking. We're losing track of what day it is, what week it is, when exactly conference championships happen. But the regular season is over. Army-Navy is done. Bowl games are here. And this is all happening at an incredibly sad time across college football with the passing of Mike Leach. Um, so, yeah, it, it's uh, it, it's been a lot going on this week. Yeah, and, you know, the, the Mike Leach thing, obviously, um, we've got a lot of remembrances on this very pod feed. You can listen to um, Andy, Ari, and David Ubbin sharing stories and talking about his impact um, both as a football coach and as one of the great personalities in the sport on this feed, so be sure to um, go f- check those out if you haven't listened to those pods. Um, also, Stu and Bruce have an episode also um, commemorating Mike Leach on the Audible, so make sure to go listen to that, read everything. Andy had a really beautiful obituary written about Mike Leach as well. And, you know, I think also, um, you know, it's just, it, it's one of those things that, like, I, th- I think the impact of this is going to keep hitting people. Like, you and I have talked about this this week because it was so sudden. Obviously, you know, Mike Leach's, um, you know, health issue it broke on Sunday and then he'd passed Monday night. So I-, I feel like, you know, a lot of people are still in shock and just sort of like the uh, fallout and the ripple effects of, of you know, his, his sudden passing. Um, probably something that, you know, will continue to hit us and all of us as college football fans that... Uh, kind of always happens when there's a larger than life figure um, who whose life is tragically cut short. And uh, actually, that's where we're going to start for for the Power Five. Um, in true Power Hour fashion, we give ourselves about a minute ish to cover one of the biggest topics in college football before the buzzer sounds, and it's time to move on to the next. And number one is Mike Leach's 
passing. He passed away Monday night at age 61. We will circle back on this for our last call as well with some of our favorite uh, clips of some of his favorite uh, famous quips. Um, His family in a statement released Tuesday said that, um, you know, they were supported and uplifted by the outpouring of support of love and prayers from family, friends, Mississippi State University, hospital staff, and football fans around the world. Thank you for sharing in the joy of our beloved husband and father's life. He participated in organ donation as a, quote, final act of charity, his family said as well. Um, initially on Sunday, as, as everyone knows, the school put out a statement saying that there was a personal health issue. And, um, you know, he'd been relocated to a hospital and, you know, now we know he was airlifted to Jackson and, um, you know, was was really in, in, in rough shape. And, you know, so many of his family and friends and loved ones and everyone who's interacted with him um, has really been grappling with this all week. And I think, you know, we've, we've seen some beautiful stories. Um, there's some amazing Twitter threads. I would recommend our colleague Chantel Jennings. Uh, she wrote about the time that she went to go walk to work with Mike Leach. She didn't really even know him that well at that time. Uh, it's an, it's a great story. I also loved one, Chris, from a, a student journalist. Well, I guess a student who wanted to be a journalist. And Mike Leach made it so that that, that person could get credentials and cover Washington State, help legitimize, helped direct fans to that person's website, and really made a career in, in sports possible for, for him and another student. Um, so there's just some incredible, really touching stories. And it's it's one of those passings where like the stories are so lovely and perfect that like you're laughing and smiling, you know, while, while sad and, and while processing the loss of, of, you know, just a giant in the sport. It, it's been a real, just tough week, really. Everybody in the media, look, everybody in the media had a Mike Leach story because he was the most accessible coach uh, in the sport. You know, th- th- there were funny stories about candy corn, and, you know, gummy bears, all kinds of stuff. But what always stuck out to me was his his curiosity. Like, he was so interested in everybody. Like that student journalist at the time who wanted credentials. Like, like he, he, he thought about everything. He wanted the playoff to expand to 64 teams. And he was kind of serious about it. He, he, you know, famously, you know, rips officiating. But he also wanted to double the pay of referees to make them more accountable and make it more of a desired profession. He just, he, he just thought about so many different things. And I think that that really stands out. And look, he wasn't perfect. He was flawed. He did things a lot of people didn't agree with. He was quite harsh on players and was quite known for throwing them under the bus after losses sometimes, which uh, I, I don't think anybody really supported. But ultimately, you know, his legacy is changing all of football with his with his uh, air raid concepts that he got from Hell Mummy and took to another level and just won at all these different places. And he, he truly was a uh, pioneer in that sense. Yeah. And, and again, we're going to, we're going to hit this in the last call as well. Uh, but just one last thought on that was, I think also how willing he was to share it and inviting of other coaches. That's part of the reason that this, the concepts and the system and the way that offenses work today at all levels is so widespread because so many different coaches worked under him. And, you know, we've seen this in the players who've won the Heisman recently. We've seen this in so many different starting quarterbacks in the NFL. Everyone's coached by leech disciples. Like it, it really um, is, is so widespread because 
he didn't hide it. He would invite people there. He would be open. He would teach people about the way that he believed you could win football games. And so, um, you know, that's part of it as well, as you, as you mentioned, you know, his willingness to engage and be curious and, and work with reporters, but also other coaches. And that's part of the reason, you know, so many coaches have, have shared remembrances or, um, you know, expressed grief and, and been in mourning this week is because of how many coaches he also let in. So we'll, we'll get into, you know, some of the funnier moments and lighter moments that we loved, um, you know, over, over the course of his career, especially these last 10 or so years where he's kind of been a little goofier, been asked about Halloween candy and wedding advice and different things. Um, but you know, we definitely wanted to start the show here. And on the same day that the news comes out of his death, North Texas names Eric Morris its head coach. And Eric Morris is a former wide receiver for uh, Mike Leach and also coached under him at some places as well. It felt pretty fitting. Dana Holgerson also noted that uh, on Twitter. Number two, relative you know, to this situation, uh, Mississippi State defensive coordinator Zach Arnett is expected to be named the next head coach. By the time you're listening, this may already be official, but it's ultimately, I think, not a surprising decision. You know, when 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 Randy Walker died at Northwestern, Pat Fitzgerald was promoted to head coach. It's it's always a tough time for everybody, but Arnett has very much impressed the people around Mississippi State. I know John Cohen, the the, the previous AD, was very very fond of him. And and for those who don't know Arnett, he comes from the Rocky Long. Uh, tree essentially he played at New Mexico then he coached uh, for nine years under Rocky Long at San Diego State joined Mississippi State uh, in 2020 where he's been the coach for uh, he's been the defense coordinator since then Uh, he's 36 years old so pretty young guy but but a guy who's gonna run that 335 defense and continue I think the success that Mississippi State uh, has had yeah and I think I think um you know, just considering everything, it makes sense for, for that stability and to have made a decision pretty quickly, even without a full-time uh, athletic director. So again, our, our thoughts and prayers are with everyone, you know, who knew and loved Mike Leach and everyone in the Mississippi State program. It's been a very difficult week for college football at large. Um, and again, as you mentioned, really every level of football that um, Mike Leach's creativity and um, innovation is is exists at um number three switching gears to other coaching changes navy made a coaching change uh fired chet gladchuk fired the winningest coach head coach in history ken niamatalola after finishing the season with four or fewer wins three years in a row two and five against army uh in the last seven matchups two and five against air force in the last seven matchups and uh, Kenny Amatololo told ESPN and uh, local outlets that he was fired in the locker room after the double overtime loss on Saturday to Army. After more than two decades at Navy representing this place and really doing everything that he possibly could, uh, it's a really tough job, Navy is, and all the service academy jobs are. And, you know, Ken has always been honest about what made that job you know, even a little bit more challenging than Army and Air Force and some of the stuff related to the schedule um, and and different other restrictions, even, you know, again, no NIL. They're not allowed to do NIL. They're not allowed to really take in transfers, kind of resets your academic clock. So they lose transfers, but can't really replace them. But, you know, it's it's it was a really I, I don't think the move itself was that surprising, but it's certainly how it was done. 
uh, I think I, you know, personally am disgusted by that. And I don't think that someone who has done that much for that program and represented it so well and been wonderful to work with from everyone's perspective who has crossed paths with Ken. Uh, I just, I, I can't believe that, that the decision to, to fire a head coach who's done that much for a program was made in the locker room immediately following an emotional rivalry loss. So that was that I, I, I'm not going to be able to get over that piece. Yeah. Look, ultimately a coaching change was not surprising. Uh, I talked to Ken in the spring for our state of the program series. And, and he, he said that he thought that the COVID issues were past the team at this point, you know, the last, not just 2020, but 2021 was a real issue for the team as well. And he felt that this was finally a normal season and it would give him a real sense of where the program was. And he said to me, exactly, if we go 4-8 and eight and things don't look good, then it's probably not going to be a good situation. And they go 4-8. and eight, You lose to Army. You know, I, I know he said if he beats Army, you know, he probably doesn't get fired. I, I don't know. It's clear that Gladchuk wanted to make a change and had wanted to make a change for a while. You don't fire but the guy. Here's right. a, yeah. But here's the thing, Chris, like what is the harm of waiting a day or two? No, exactly. That, that's, that's what, that, that was the next point I was going to make that this is not how you do it. This is not how you do it to anybody, let alone a guy who has uh, been at that school for so long and, and is probably the greatest coach in school history, just a completely disrespectful way to go about it. And it's not unprecedented for Gladchuk to just handle thinks this way last year after the lost air force he fired the offensive coordinator in the locker room before neomatololo talked him out of it to bring him back as as quarterbacks coach so um really really just kind of unfortunate situation with the way things played out at uh, at navy i know kenny matololo says he thinks he has more in the tank so perhaps we, we we see him around and just really one of the truly you know nice and, and good people in college coaching just about everybody can agree with that. Matt Rule uh, sent out a tweet saying he would uh, love for his kids to play for Niamatololo someday. So, yeah, just, just a real unfortunate situation in Navy that now opens up. It is the only open head coaching job, and it is perhaps the uh, most difficult in the current landscape of college football, as you kind of laid out there with NIL and transfers. So we will see, I think, names to watch. Uh, Brian Bohannon, the, the Kennesaw State head coach, uh, uh, Mike Deason, the Air Force offensive coordinator, and, and perhaps Brian Newberry, the current defensive coordinator at, at Navy. Uh, they're going to be triple options still. They're going to stick with what they're doing. But it is uh, definitely a new era for Navy football. Number four, uh, bowl opt-outs. These are an annual thing now. We're, we're used to it at this point. Uh, Jalen Hyatt's out of the Orange Bowl, the Tennessee receiver. Uh, no Travion Henderson or Jackson Smith and Jigba for the playoff for Ohio State in, in the Peach Bowl. Um, th- you know, th- th- we we've we've also had some some Utah players uh, opt out of the Rose Bowl one year after a bunch of Ohio State players opted out of the Rose Bowl. Nicole, just wh- what do you what do you think of this? Is this you know every year we kind of say this is becoming the new normal, but it feels this year like it's it's bigger than ever. Yeah, but I also would say that the reaction feels very muted because we are used to it. Um, I mm-hmm. think the idea of, you know, players who were banged up, like a Trevion Henderson who told the Columbus Dispatch that he has to have surgery on his foot and it's been bad since the third game of the season and he's been playing on it or trying to play on it and it's been getting worse. It's been painful. Like, you know, instead of trying to play through that because 
you're in the playoff, you you're seeing players opt out. Um, you were also see uh, Jalen Hyatt for one example. You know, he was saying like he's going to go to the game. He's going to be on the sidelines, I assume, and support the team, but he's not going to play and just prepare for the NFL. So you have a number of. Um, those types of decisions as well, where it's guys who are going pro. I, I don't know. Like some of the times we talk about this about like, okay, what's the solution or is there a solution for this has to do with like the meaning of the game. You know, I, again, you're probably going to see some opt outs in an expanded playoff, right? If you're a team in the bottom or, you know, that would need to play three or four games, whatever it might look like, you may not have those players who may not want to risk injuries. Like you, you may continue to see this. So that's part of it because, you know, again, now we're seeing it in the Rose bowl and, and even playoff games with, with again, you know, potential NFL stars and injured and kind of players who've been banged up throughout the season. I do think, you know, it is part of a reality or that it now is probably something that's not going to change unless you legitimately have contracts with players and that it's something that's like collectively bargained and it's, you know, you're expected to play in these games because you signed a contract or if, you know, you sign an NIL deal with a bowl and you play and that's part of the conditions of that. But like, I, I, to me, I'm not sure that that's going to change and it's become very normalized. So I you know, again, I didn't really see a huge backlash to any of those players announcing that they're not going to be playing in their bowls. And, you know, it's kind of like, all right, well, you know, we saw Ohio State have a lot of opt-outs last year, and that's where we learned who Jackson Smith and Jigba was and got all excited about him. And so you just kind of, with some of these rosters, you just assume that, like, the next blue-chip player is going to be the one who breaks out in that type of game. So I, I don't I don't think there's really a way to reverse course on this unless you have – actual like employment contracts the the Travion Henderson one is interesting because like you said you know we may or may not have players opt out of a 12-team playoff well he's kind of opting out of a 14-team playoff now though it is different he is hurt he said it's bothered him since the third game he's been barely playing it's making it worse when he goes out there um he has not played much this season so like we, we know it, it is different but you know if Tennessee's in a playoff right now is Jalen Hyatt playing Probably. I mean, last year, Kenny Pickett's probably playing. Kenneth Walker is probably yeah. playing. Yep. You know, th- there might be some, especially for the guys that are really, really injured. But I do think we'd see less of it. And I do think two years in a row where you've, you're having players skip out on the Rose Bowl just further illustrates that it just doesn't mean what it used to, unfortunately. I love the Rose Bowl. And that's the reality and, and ultimately the only way to get a lot of these players, non-injured ones to, to play more will be playoff games and we'll have that soon. Yep. I, I think that's, I think that's part of it. Um, it's, it's stakes and it's money, right? Those are the things that get people to participate in anything in life. And so, um, you know, you increase those and, and you'll see the participation change. Um, and again, like the Rose bowl is a good example of, you know, kind of this larger conversation of like, what is the role for bowls that are not part of the playoff? And I know our colleague Scott Dockerman is working on a piece related to that. And there's a lot of interesting perspectives on that. It does really feel like it is a, um, you know, a, a pivotal moment in that big picture idea of like, what does college football owe its bowl games? And what should they be moving forward? I mean, what is the role of like a bowl game for a seven and five or six and six team? Et cetera, et cetera. You can keep going down the line. So I think that's going to continue to be an off-season storyline. 
Last one, number five of the Power Five, is Purdue made a hire this week as well. You mentioned that Navy's the only job that's open now. That's because Mississippi State promoted from within, and Purdue hired Ryan Walters, the Illinois defensive uh, defensive coordinator. He oversaw one of the best defenses in the country this year. And um, he, the first thing he did, which was very, very cool, and I would encourage you to go look up this video on Purdue football's um, in, uh, Twitter feed, First thing he did, he calls, you know, his first staff uh, team meeting with the current players. He, so the first thing he says is, where's Devin, Devin Mockaby? He says, you know, we played against you and I couldn't believe it. He wasn't on scholarship. So guess what? Like you're on scholarship now. And he's like, you know, this is the flex I can do now. I'm a head coach. You know, I can make <laughs> these decisions. Um, you know, and Devin Mockaby had almost a thousand yards. I mean, he was setting records for Purdue freshmen, but he was a walk-on and, you know, he's probably going to get a scholarship, but what a cool moment and way to introduce yourself to a new team. This is a head coach. He's 36. He's, you know, closer in age to these players than probably most coaches that they've had, certainly younger than Jeff Brom. He's also the first defensive head coach at Purdue since 1982. He's the second black head coach in this coaching cycle. But I think the the move to go defense was what was very interesting to both you and me, and I think most people, because, you know, the kind of freewheeling, creative offense, throw it all over the field, trick plays, that marked the Jeff Brom tenure felt like it's been a working identity or an identity that works well for Purdue over the course of its history. I'm sure that the offensive coordinator hire and what kind of coach they want on that side and what kind of offense they want is all part of the interview process. And they're, they want to, you know, Purdue still wants to put up a lot of points and be that exciting offense as well. But I think that they felt that they couldn't pass up Ryan Walters. Like I think they think his ceiling is incredibly high and he has been considered a rising star and they wanted him. And so I'll be very curious to see, you know, the offensive staff hires, but uh, yeah, I mean the going defense, I think was, is, is my main takeaway, even though this is a name that has been associated with other jobs, especially Colorado and with someone, I think that we we're all kind of thinking it's a matter of time until this person's a head coach. Yeah, you know, he really wanted Colorado because he played there. You know, that that's that's where he was. He he has been in the mix for a few jobs in the cycle. Illinois, I, th- I think, is number one or number two in, in scoring defense. Now that was against not the toughest schedule in the world, but you saw what they did to Michigan's offense in Ann Arbor. That is a legitimately good defense. And, yeah, that was my first reaction as well was, oh, they went defense. You know, 1982 was the last time that they hired – a defensive head coach. I know Joe Tiller had a defensive background, but he was an offensive head coach when he came into um, Purdue. And, you know, last week, Mike Babinski, when he held a press conference kind of explaining what was next, he was asked, you know, do you want an offensive coach? That's that's what it has been for a while. And he said, I'd love to get back there. We've had a lot of success there, but it doesn't necessarily have to be that. It, it, it's whoever we think uh, can win. So, I am fascinated to see who Walters will hire as his offensive coordinator and how that's going to fit with what he likes to do on defense. He could still very well hire a, you know, offensive coordinator who put up a bunch of numbers this year, and, and it could still be similar to that. Uh, but it, but it is a, a bit of a step in a new direction for uh, Purdue. And, and to your point about giving away the scholarship, uh, a lot different than the Dion entrance. <laughs> <laughs> Colorado. Very, now, very look, different per- than his first meeting. Yes. Now, to be fair, Colorado is horrible. 
And Purdue just won the Big Ten West, so it's not like you want to come into Purdue and tell everybody to jump into the portal. But you've seen a few coaches now kind of make a point to not do what Dion did in that first meeting. Troy Taylor, the new head coach at Stanford, said that he's invited every single player who played a snap you know, for Stanford this past season to come back and that it's the same thing he did at Sacramento State and that he needs to create a culture of love. So just different approaches to different things. Um, and like I said, now there's just one job open right now, and that is Navy. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Speaking of love, things we love, happy hour. Uh, This is the part of the show where we talk about things we're excited about, things we're happy about. Um, And this this week we're going to talk about non- CFP bowl games because they are starting. Um, not sure when you guys are listening, but first bowl games are getting started on Friday. So we get our afternoon college football fix very soon. There's a bunch of exciting matchups and kind of odd pairings and all the good stuff that we love so much about college football bowl season. So we're each going to pick three games that we are excited about that are not CFP bowls that are actually, I think all of our picks are going to be played before the semifinals kick off on New Year's Eve. Um, So Chris, why don't you start? What is a bowl game that you're excited about? I have to start with the second bowl game on the calendar, and that is the Cure Bowl, uh, which is UTSA and Troy. Now this is a top 25 game. Both of these teams are ranked. Both of these teams won their conference championships and are 12 and uh, 12 and 1 or 11 and 2 on the season, 11 and 2. And you know, if if this wasn't the Cure Bowl, you you could think this is a pretty high major bowl. This is going to be an awesome matchup between two very very good teams. I hate that they have to play each other. This is like when B. This is like when TCU and Boise got put against each other instead of being put against BCS teams back in the day. I'd love to see these teams play Power Five teams in the bowl games, but it's not how the bowls are set up. But UTSA Troy on Friday, watch that game. Watch that game. It is going to be a very very high quality football game. 
Okay, so my uh, first of my bowls that I'm excited for is uh, the Alamo Bowl, Texas and Washington. This one's on December 29th. I feel like it is the perfect cross Power 5 game where we're going to make sweeping judgments about the conferences, right? Because we've been talking about how good the top half of the Pac-12 has been how fun the offenses have been, how good the quarterbacks have been. Michael Penix Jr., who's, by the way, coming back next year for the Huskies, could have, probably should have been a Heisman finalist. And then you have Texas, and you have the um, a, a program that had its ups, had its downs this year, that we love to talk about every offseason, about where we think they are, if they're back or not. Uh, it just has the makings to be a really fun game, especially offensively. And for us to massively, massively overreact to. So that is why that is number one on my list. Yes, Michael Penix Jr. coming back next season, by the way. Keep him at the top of your Heisman odds for next season. Uh, My number two bowl, I guess I'm just doing mine in in order of uh, which they take place. But it's the Fenway Bowl, Cincinnati versus Louisville on Saturday. Now this is the... As Sicko's committee properly put it, this is the third annual inaugural Fenway Bowl. Because if you want, this is the third attempt at doing the Fenway Bowl. If you want to know how the past two years went, 2020 canceled due to COVID. Uh, 2021 also canceled due to COVID. 2022, the head coach of one of the teams went and took the job at the other team. <laughs> Scott Satterfield has left Louisville uh, to uh, coach at Cincinnati. He will not, I don't think he'll even at this game I think he said I think yeah I think he said he won't be there but like I kind of wanted him to and like do one of those obnoxious like half jersey things yeah do like like, yeah cut a jersey in half and sew them up where it's like both sides of the game like a parent does like AJ like AJ Hawk's sister back in that uh, 2005 Fiesta Bowl back in the day where we yeah that's what I that's what I want 50 shots of Scott Satterfield in in the crowd unfortunately we won't get it we also won't get him coaching both teams as I think we talked about last week wanting to happen because both teams in this game will be on the same sideline because it is at a weirdly shaped baseball stadium but also Cincinnati Louisville I it's a rivalry game I don't know if it's on the line but it should be they play for a keg of nails that is the rivalry trophy they play for I really hope this is on the line wait that's a question I have do we know if trophy rivalry trophies go for bowl games they typically do not change hands at bowl games or conference championship games in the past uh There have been other ones of these, but specifically this one, I don't think so, just because it typically has not. Uh, While we're we're talking, I'll I'll reach out to our buddy Justin Williams to double check. Okay. All right. So another game that I am excited about is the Mayo Bowl, because obviously I have to talk about the Mayo Bowl. Um, Very close with the organizers. They are incredibly fun people. They have been very, very creative with the way that they have marketed this and getting coaches to buy in um, last year, they had both head coaches willing to have a vat of Mayo dumped on their head. We obviously saw it with Shane Beamer. I will stand by it that I believe that they had two top 10 wins this season. The year after a Mayo bath, I think they were directly related. There is direct correlation to that success. We know Mike's Lo- Mike Loxley is willing to have the Mayo dump. I've been told that they would put Old Bay seasoning in the mayo if that were to happen because it's Maryland. I would love to see that. Would also be hilarious to see if Dave Doran is willing to do it or who would do it from the NC State side. 
I just like that this is fun. You talked about, you know, getting a rivalry game in a bowl game. How about old ACC foes? I, you know, we talk about all the things we've lost with conference realignment. I always enjoy when Maryland gets to play an old ACC team. So that's NC State and Maryland. I think it's going to be a fun one. And I'm sure that there will be entertaining content created at that game. Important update. Justin Williams says six and be back. Yes, the keg of nails is on the yes. line in the Fenway yes. Bowl. Okay. okay. Scott, Satter, Scott Satterfield apparently said they found it at an equipment manager's house. So keg of nails, Saturday, Fenway Bowl. Hopefully this actual Fenway Bowl happens. So that that is good. That's a good update there. Uh, my, my number three bowl, the Armed Forces Bowl, December 22nd, Air Force versus Baylor. I always love when service academies go up against Power 5 teams because they are typically not prepared for that at all unless you're Notre Dame and play it every year. Uh, so that's always a fun situation. Air Force beat Louisville last year and Army beat Missouri last year in bowl games. So these are always fun. Uh, Baylor also, by the way, uh, is changing defensive coordinators. So this may be a defense that is uh, perhaps not up fully to prepared for this. Could be an, could be, uh, an interesting uh, day or night. I'm not sure what time the game is uh, for the Baylor defense. So Armed Forces Bowl, Air Force Baylor will be very fun. And my last non-playoff game that I'm excited for, we actually fought over this and I won. <laughs> but I know that Chris is excited for it. It is Iowa, Kentucky for the second straight year, the exact same bowl matchup. So we started the calendar year 2022 with Iowa playing Kentucky in a bowl game. We are ending it with Iowa playing Kentucky in a bowl game, playing both games in 2022. This is going to be the lead in game to the playoff on December 31st. Neither team will have a quarterback. Uh, well, they'll Iowa, have a quarterback. They won't have a starting well, quarterback. Okay, they won't have a starting quarterback. <laughs> Iowa also won't have their backup quarterback either. So they're uh, at the very high end would be a third-string quarterback on the Iowa side. Will Levis is not playing on the Kentucky side. So first of all, you already have a team in Iowa that has one of the worst offenses in the country. But both offenses are actually outside of the top 100 in scoring offense. Both top 15 scoring defense. Um this has this has like ugly written all over it, but I will say we thought that that would be the case last year when these two teams played. It turned out to be one of the more entertaining bowl games. So to me, it's just it's must see TV, especially without starting quarterbacks. I think this has real sickos committee energy, and I think it had that even before we knew the quarterback situation, but especially not. And I really hope we get players that play other positions taking snaps at quarterback. This is this has to be the Sickos Committee game of the year. I don't know if they do bowl games, but the, well, the, the, Iowa Iowa was their Sickos team of the year. Right. So, and the, and the other part of this, by the way, Kentucky fired some offensive coaches, including the offensive coordinator. So they they don't have the starting quarterback or the starting uh, coaching staff, I guess, so to speak. The over under for this game, last I checked before we recorded, was thirty one and a half. That would tie for the lowest ever. The lowest ever was Iowa-Minnesota earlier this year. Navy-Army did not quite. I think Navy, uh, Army-Navy this weekend was 32.5. So that's that. The S&P numbers or the SP Plus numbers have it even lower. So I know you said last year's game was fun. This will be fun, but this is not going to be a good game at all. Other zero chance. There is zero chance. There is no chance that this game is, enter- that this game is quality football. 
And that's that's, that's fine. Thing. One of my favorite bowl games in recent years was the combined, was it nine interceptions in the Cheez-It Bowl? The first yes. year of the Cheez-It Bowl? Cal, Cal and TCU. That's what I want. That's what I would like. I would like the records in this game to approach that of that Cheez-It Bowl, which now there are two Cheez-It Bowls, which is a separate issue that is also yes. very confusing. Um, but again, other podcasts might put a game like, may, may not even mention a game like that, or they might at least put it in their rocks in the rock segment no this isn't a happy hour because we are actually quite excited and arguing over who got to talk about iowa kentucky so those are six games that we're excited for as bowl season gets underway again starting friday with the bahamas bowl but it is time to talk about rocky relationships it's time to talk it out there's friction somewhere somewhere in this sport we are here to help you work through it um i want to play this clip from Washington State head coach Jake Dickert. And then, Chris, I want to get your reactions to it. Well, there's immense uh, challenges, Colton, to what this portal and this NLI provides. Okay, there's more tampering going on than you could ever imagine. Okay, we've had guys contact our players' parents. We had, a, we had a coach from another school contact one of our players and offer him NIL, a coach. Okay, so there's more things going on behind the scenes that you can't even imagine. You can't even imagine the things that are happening right now that try to pry our players away from this place. Okay, and it's, uh, it's, it's stunning, it's amazing, it's the new thing that, you know, I guess comes with this portal transformation, um, but it, it's not right. And who's gonna regulate it? Who's regulating this stuff? You know, so there's challenges that we're facing that I obviously are extremely disappointed with with what other teams and other programs and the collectives maybe act you know on their own behalf, but to try to get to our players' parents and offering money and opportunities and stuff is just it's unacceptable to me. Okay, so he is not necessarily it's this this isn't just a complaint about the portal, right, and about how many teams are using it or how many players are entering it. It is about tampering specifically, and I, I understand you're not supposed to tamper, not supposed to be recruiting inducements, you're not supposed to be promising players that they're going to get paid X NIL dollars if they come to school Y. Um, to me, this is just illustrative, uh, illustrative of where the sport is, how coaches really feel about it. I also don't think that that's going to change, and these coaches are paid a lot of money to deal with roster management issues. Like, I, I see where he's coming from, but it's also like th that message is going to rile some people up, but it's also not going to get a ton of sympathy because these coaches are paid millions and millions of dollars to deal with this. The other part of this is that coach tampering happens all the time. Coaches change jobs all the time in the middle of recruiting, in the middle of bowl season. They're not out of their contracts when they take other jobs. You know, I'm Jake Dickert has an offensive coordinator opening right now because Eric Morris just left. He's probably talked to some people for that job who are currently at other jobs. Like that's just how it works, and it it, it further illustrates how this really is just kind of going toward a business and how businesses run. And that's that. Also, tampering existed before this. Right? Like players, players and high school coaches would talk about various things and, and guys who were interested in leaving or not and set these things up before the portal existed, before NIL existed. Now the portal and NIL have made it worse. But again, coaches like to complain. I understand why they complain. But 
this is just kind of the nature of the business now. And again, like you said, this is why they get paid money. They, you know, they leave teams for other jobs. It's just something you have to acknowledge. Yeah. So I have two, two other quick points. Um, so we had Charles Huff, Marshall head coach on Sirius XM earlier this week. And we, we were talking to him about like this time of year, just managing a portal, managing early signing period coming up and also bowl prep, like all of these things all at once. And we, we were sort of just, talking about the roster management piece and he made the point that you just did and coaches know this and again I get it they like to complain or at least you know kind of talk about this stuff but he was like transferring existed it just was you know there were all these jumps you had to the whole all these um hoops you had to jump through and people could block things and you had to get waivers and you had to do all these things the portal just changed it and changed the language we have about talking about transferring um, and so that's, I think, an important point with this. Another thing is I was talking to a Power 5 AD back in the spring, and he was running through a situation where they had had two football players who had been contacted by other coaches prior to their name even being in the portal, right? And so he was just talking about tampering and, you know, how this stuff was actually playing out. And he was like, you know, there's no benefit in going public with this stuff and complaining about it or calling specific schools out. Because everyone's just going to act like you're crying over spilt milk. Like, it's not going to... Yeah, I mean, there'll be certain people, you know, upset. And, like, again, we do know, you know, we know Pitt was upset when, um, you know, the Bolitnikoff winner, Jordan Addison, went to USC right at the end of the wind, the available window to transfer last year. But you don't really, like, it's clearly happening a lot more. And to Jake Dickert's point, like, it's it's happening. But... What what is to be gained if you complain about it? That's that's the problem. And like it's it's a hard thing to also like prove and try to like turn someone in and get them in trouble because like I don't know, are you just gonna have is it the call log and you're gonna be able to prove that they were called before the person entered the portal? Like I I don't know. Like there's not a really I, I my point is just I don't know that there's a solution for this. I forgot who so someone on our staff wrote about this last year. It might have been Max. It was basically like or Andy, and it was like, everybody knows everybody else is cheating, but nobody ever turns anybody in. You know, like, like that is, that's the system that they run. They'll complain, but they won't name names until Jimbo kind of did with Nick, Nick Saban this year, which was fun. I, if you're going to complain, name names like Jimbo did, or otherwise, whatever. Look, they complained last year, and ultimately we, we got transfer windows. So, you know, they complain because they want some changes to happen. But at this point, if you think someone's tampering, the only thing you can do is turn them in and maybe say that publicly. So it, it is kind of a weird spot. And, and, and similarly, this was the other topic I wanted to talk about in On the Rocks is that the calendar is just totally messed up right now. I was talking to a coach last week who was thinking about taking a job at another school. And while he's thinking about this, he's on the road recruiting for his current school. He's also working to talk to guys who are in the portal and it's like we have all these things going on at once also you know there's bowl games to prepare for like all these things are happening at once and we've just stacked them all on top of each other in december and it's created an absolutely chaotic month that makes no sense this is not how pro sports work which is what this is where college football is in that weird middle ground you know nfl coaches aren't leaving for other, you know, an NFL head coach doesn't leave for another NFL head coaching job. You have to see out the contract. You have to be let out of your contract by your team or you get fired. Like that, that's a normal business's work. That's what Joe Moglia said when I talked to him 
uh, for a story I did, I think in the summer or the spring about that. It's like, it just, it makes no sense how this all goes on. I think the early signing period made it worse. And ultimately, I think it would be better for everybody if we kind of just spread some of this stuff out and, and not put everything in December when just nobody's fully all in on everything because you can't do everything all at once. Yeah, I think that this is only going to become a bigger topic because, you know, you had the ACC was spearheading this look at like a 365 day review of college football. We know the oversight committee has also been looking at this. And and some of this is like, OK, when should there be recruiting live periods? What should that look like? What should the ramp up to the season look like? Should games move up to week zero with the expanded playoff for 2026? Like there, there's other questions because these all these all things, you know, kind of piece together. But I think the early signing period is something you could fix on its own. Like that does not need to be in December. Um, everyone does it now. And, you know, it's funny. And you talk to like people who are involved in that decision in the first place. And they're all like, yeah, you know, we thought it would be like maybe some legacy kids would commit early, but everyone would still really operate under the February deadline. I was like, of course not. No. Like, of course not. Of course people are going to be like, no, you have to commit now or the scholarship's not going to be available. Or yes. we just need this certainty now. Like we've seen coaching changes you know, move up so that you have coaches in place for this period. I mean, everything adjusted to it. So that was a naive approach, I think, to think that people were still going to really operate around the February period. But so that I think is fixable. We'll see the impact of these transfer portal windows, how they work, the length of the windows, how long they're open, et cetera, et cetera. But to me, the early signing period is the one that was obviously threw a lot of this out of whack. Yeah, and look, it's it's December 14th right now, and there's only one head coaching opening. We, we've had a lot of these hires happen days after a coach was fired or let go. And I know you do your groundwork, you know, sometimes before you fire a coach, but this is not how a normal business works. Your, your highest paid employee in your department is not hired, you know, with a week's worth of background checks in, in, in interviews. Like, like you, you, you want to improve the, the coaching uh you know, search success rate, you probably spend a little bit more time on it. But because the portal is when it is, it has now moved up even quicker than ever before. And it's just a real mess for everybody. It's a mess for the coaches who want to um, do right by the kids. It's messed up for the kids who are preparing for the bowl game. It's messed up for the recruits who uh, don't know where they stand or not because it could depend on transfers. And it's just a real mess right now. To me, I think it also underscores, again, how how little some of these bowls mean to to places or programs or the sport at large when you have a million other things going well, on. Well, you have to. That, you, you have to do and, these I things. I mean, and, and, yeah, and, you, but you're also seeing, like, full-on staffing changes, all these other yeah. things. Like, people are not basing these decisions around the calendar to prepare for playing a bowl right. game and being at your best. You remember, I mean, Rich Rodriguez wasn't fired until after he pl- coached in a bowl game. That's how it used to work. That was the la- that was that was my senior year. Yeah, that was so that I mean Brady Hoke was hired sometime in January cuz that that was a New Year's Day game. Mhm. Yeah, I yeah. mean this stuff used to be it's part of the reason that like when Mark D'Antonio stepped down and Mel Tucker eventually went to Michigan State, like that was so late. That was after the February signing period. Right before, right? It was like it was like be, days before the February signing period. That D'Antonio yeah. stepped down, yes. But like that was so late 2 years ago in this current climate would not have been as egregious as much of an outlier in the old days because a lot of changes did happen in January like it just the the hard deadline was February now the hard deadline is 
like December 5th. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's totally, yeah. it's totally changed. Yeah, and you're going to see more um, and more coaches fired during the season because of that, which, again, sucks for those. we did. So sucks for those players on those teams. Yep, and so, again, this stuff is fixable, but it is incredibly frustrating. It is incredibly rocky, and it is something that we will continue to report on in the offseason because I, I just think it's not working. It's burning people out, um, and it's not – if the whole – idea of the enterprise or at least the thing that they say is important is athlete experience it's not helping that at all um so we'll continue to talk about that that's a good off-season topic and now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct tv satellite free you see this a family watching baseball on direct tv with no satellite dish in sight let's heckle them you call that changing the channel choke up on the remote buddy i hope getting all these games on direct tv makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds direct tv has the most mlb games visit directtv.com claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher availability of rsn's varies by zip code and package high-speed internet service required terms and restrictions apply when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over 600 each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Before we go, uh, we are going to do our last call. This is the part of the show where we cheers to something or jeers, but I think today will be a cheers for both of us. Um, it's, you know, it's last last call. It's the end of the night. It's, you know, we're going to celebrate one thing one last time. Uh, it's a fitting metaphor for Mike Leach. We have both shared a drink with him where he ordered or put, I don't remember if he ordered ice cubes in his beer, but he put ice cubes in his beer. Yes. Um, we were at the AFCA convention in, was that 2018? 2018, 2018 season? I, yeah, I think it 2018 into 19, maybe? Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, I, I want to say, so it was in January 2019, I want to say. And he was the AFCA's coach of the year. Um, we were all out. It, I think it's important to note that it was a dive bar that was also a Chinese restaurant. So I just think that that helps kind of like paint the picture. Um, and, uh, you know, Mike Leach was just being Mike Leach, all the stories and the, the tangents and the rambling. Um, I mean, my, one of my other favorite moments of that, and, and you and I both have tweeted about this, but, you know, he had told us that he had sent like five suit jackets from Pullman. He'd brought them with him to Key West because he's always in Key West. And he had these suit jackets in case he needed to go straight to an event where he needed a suit. But they had all gone on basically one-way trips, and so he had no suit jackets left. But he needed one because he was being honored as the National Coach of the Year. And so he, like, borrowed slash bought one off of some guy that he was friends with in Key West that you described as, like, kind of like a fixer. I mean, it was just this incredible and, like, perfect Mike Leach story, and that was the suit jacket that he wore to San Antonio. Um, and then we were all, you know, getting drinks with him and our colleague Bruce Feldman, who had a very nice remembrance as well. Um, he'd written the book with Mike and knew him very well, knew all the air raid guys extremely well. So, you know, that was something I was thinking about this week. So anyway, last call to Mike Leach is a, a fitting metaphor, um, and celebration for him. Uh, my favorite clip, uh, and there are many, I, and I mean, I, I think, I think visually I like the one where he puts the little like Gardner Minshew mustache on his face, um, after the game at Wazoo, maybe the most, 
But I'm going to go with a recent clip. Um, this is with our pal uh, Alyssa Lang from the SEC Network. She's engaged. She's planning a wedding. She asks Mike Leach for his advice. This is from October 2022. I know you have strong thoughts on weddings. Um, I'm in the middle of planning one right now. Do you have you any are? advice for me? Who yeah. are you marrying? His name is Trevor. Okay, yeah, well, <clears throat> I'll have to you set up a meeting and I'll talk to him. Um, okay, so uh, where's Trevor from? He's from Florida. What does Trevor do for a living? He works in sports as well, covers football. He does what? He covers football as well. Really? Well, I don't know. We'll keep a close eye on it, but whatever you and Trevor decide, I would kind of keep it on the down low, which you failed to do that. Trevor was probably planning to, but you didn't. Uh, so go ahead and uh, uh, don't, don't say anything else about it, but as soon as the season's over, or even an off week, go elope. Trust me on that. Go elope. Because uh, basically every female in the family is going to terrorize you guys until it's over. Once it's over, I mean, they'll be upset for a few days, but it'll be over. And then, you know, you cruise away, uh, along, have a happy marriage, have a happy life. I'll pass along the message. Thanks, Coach. Congrats okay. on the win. Trevor, unless he's crazy, is totally on my side. And trust me on this. <clears throat> if Trevor doesn't uh, have the sense to do that, Tell him to call me because, I mean, he needs to do trust. I've told all my kids, I'll give you $10,000 extra if you elope. So far, they haven't done it, but I would, too. I'll have him call you. I love this because, obviously, she's asked him some of the goofier questions that have led to some of these viral moments, like about candy corn and some of the food takes. So I love that she knows that she can ask these and he knows, like, to be in the right headspace to answer them. Um, but it's also really good advice to elope. Don't spend all the money. Don't create all the headaches with a wedding. Um, so I just love that. And I feel like it was a very, it's a good, uh, encapsulation of who he was when he was giving like wedding and dating advice, which were always like quintessentially Mike Leach advice. But to me, it's just, it's, it's a great clip that just shows the lightness of, all of this and um, just again, like you, you talked about this earlier in the show about like his curiosity and things, just the fact that he's thought about this and has all these like very specific yeah. takes about, you know, eloping and doing this and doing that. Or um, I saw somebody tweet that they had just met him and he told them the guy to like go take a woman out on a date. And if she orders and eats an entire steak, <laughs> like that's the woman you marry. Like these are just like great little nuggets and there's wisdom in all of them and there's goofiness in all of them. And so, um, I, I, I love that. And so, you know, again, cheers to Mike Leach, um, one of college football's great characters. The sport will miss him. Yeah. And, and mine is also Leach as well. And it, it, it's a, apart from the book, swing your sword that our colleague Bruce Feldman wrote with, with Mike and Bruce shared his thoughts on Mike in, in a story uh, earlier this week. And he included a, a section from the book that, that was Bruce's favorite and is my favorite as well. And it's about, putting yourself in uncomfortable positions to do different things. And, and Leach, he went to BYU. Just, it was a unique step for him in his, in his life. And he says, this is a quote from the book. He says, when I left home for BYU, I wanted to reinvent myself. In high school, people tend to get uh, rutted into little clicks. I did. Maybe it's instinctive that people fall into the same patterns over time. Everybody gets a little bit rutted by the routine, by what's comfortable. The problem is... If you're doing the same old thing that everybody else is doing, that's who you become, everybody else. What's more, you start to become the person you think everybody expects you to be, good or bad. 
Those expectations seem to weigh especially heavily on kids. They may never fully blossom, and years later, they cringe when they think back on what could have been and end up presenting the people around them. When you're young, your instincts tell you to conform to your surroundings or roll with the punches. It's the path of least resistance. Even if you don't like who you are, who others have perceived you to be, that's how you manage to find acceptance. It's easier for you to exist that way rather than to shake things up, but it can be suffocating or at the very least stifling. And this is a guy, that's the end of the, the, the quote, this is a guy who, and he said, he said he loved to, he wanted his kids to go away from school, go to new places and experience new things, and that's how they would develop. This is a guy who coached as a head coach in Finland, in Lubbock, Texas, in Pullman, Washington, and Starkville, Mississippi. Those are very just out there places, can be difficult to get to, a bit isolated depending on, on what it is. This is a guy who could fit into any situation and make it work. He's one of the most influential coaches in college football history. And outside of uh, a brief stint at Oklahoma, he didn't coach at the Blue Bloods. He didn't come up from some famous Bear Bryant type coach or something like that. He's a guy who carved his own path and put himself in difficult situations, different situations, and succeeded in them. For him to have the record that he has coaching at Texas Tech, Washington State, and Mississippi State is remarkable. He's not quite eligible for the College Football Hall of Fame because you need a 600 winning percentage, but he should be. I hope they make an exception. But I just I thought that was a great uh, just bit of wisdom from him, and it's something I experienced when I moved from Michigan, where I'd moved, where I lived my whole life, down to Texas. And it is a chance to reinvent yourself, and you figure out what works and what doesn't work for you, and uh, you grow a lot more. So I just thought that was a great lesson from Mike Leach about never being afraid to push yourself in new and uncomfortable situations because that's how you grow as a person. Yeah, and and just to bookend that, um, you know, for me that was going to college, very similar to what he was describing. Even though, you know, he mentioned that you know BYU is probably like the variance in the type of people who go to BYU is maybe smaller than like for me as someone grew up in New Jersey goes to Michigan with you know tens of thousands of people. Um, you know, even just like little things about like okay, you don't have like to your point about not knowing people. You don't have friends. You have to sign up for stuff. You have to like talk to people. You have to do all these things. And I, I think that message just really resonates when you think about being an adult and how hard it is to make adult friendships, how hard it is to come up with hobbies, find hobbies, devote time to them, like to really figure out what you care about, what you like. And so I think that that's a really good message um, and a good point to to end today's show on. Um, again, there's great remembrances on our site from Bruce and Andy. You can listen to um, the Andy Staples Show podcast, um, you know, talking about Mike Leach and his legacy. And you can also listen to the Audible about it as well with, with Bruce and Stu. So um, lots of Mike Leach remembrances, stories, and, um, and just tributes. So make sure you check all of that out. Uh, next week, we'll be back with more Power Hour. So thank you for listening to this week. For Chris Vanini, I'm Nicole Auerbach, and we will see you next Wednesday. Mm-hmm.